0: You could churn in your Bible, if you have one, to Psalm 81. I'm going to read it in its entirety right now. Psalm 81. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign god. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and churn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of wheat. And with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Let's pray for a moment. Father, this is your word. And I ask right now that that is what we would encounter today. Lord, would you speak to us through your holy words? Would you meet with us right now, and Lord, would you transform us? Thank you, Lord, that you still speak to us. And we ask this morning you would give us ears to hear. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning, our psalm begins with a call to worship. Now, this psalm may have been sung by a choir leader towards the gathered people, or it may have actually been sung by the congregation, Words that they would have sung aloud to to rouse and stir up their own hearts to worship God and to one another. Let me read the first two verses again. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine. The sweet lyre with the harp. It is good for God's people to sing songs of praise. It is good. I wanna point out a few quick things in these verses. We are to sing aloud. You might've encountered that this morning. If you're a guest, you might've been wondering, as we're worshiping, we are singing together. And This is not group karaoke. We are singing praise to our God. We're to sing aloud. We're, when we sing praise, we're not meant to be dispassionate, disinterested, and disengaged. This is a moment where we're called to be animated. And we are to shout. It says to shout for joy. We're to yell aloud. We are to raise and lift up a song. This is not quiet. It's loud. It's vocal. But I also want to point out the instruments here. It's not that we're to gather together and just shout for joy and lose our minds together in this cacophony of noise that we are to sing songs to God. There are not random notes here. There is sweet music being played, and we are singing songs together, being led together to sing truths about our God. Now, I am blessed to hear from guests at times where they come and say, I love our time of worship and song in this church, and often when they do, they, they bring up and talk about the musicians up here and how wonderful and talented they are. And that brings me much joy to hear. That is a good thing. The people who play music up here and, and lead us in praise, they're not like other bands. The purpose of a worship band is not to draw us into them. Or, or to stir us up into emotional frenzy to feel something. It's to direct our gaze to God and for our emotions to be affected by him. And so they lead us, and, and they use the gifts that they, God has given them, and they also use the skill that they work hard at. And so we should encourage people who serve us in this way. But friends, you know what I love hearing even more? When people say that they love the times of worship here on Sunday mornings because the people around them are worshiping. They, they hear other people raise up their voices. They, they hear shouts for joy. They, they see hands extended up in praise, bodies postured in worship. And I think that has an effect on us. The reality is we could allow cynicism in our heart and and it could affect us in a way of just judging someone. But when we gather and want to draw near to God, and we want to sing praises to him, I can't help but feel spurred on when I see those around me lifting their hands. Those around me who I know their lives and and the situations they're going through because I live in community with them, when they sing trust in the Lord, strengthens my faith. And I find that I sing. It's a beautiful thing when God's people come together and sing praise. But I think sometimes we can take this part of our time together for granted. Now maybe you've fallen into a routine of running behind on Sunday mornings. I'm not trying to bring a hammer right now. I'm just acknowledging that it happens, doesn't it? I've been there. And, and, and maybe you've fallen into that pattern. And, and by the time you make it into the service, we're two or even three songs in. Or maybe in the morning, <clears throat> your way of preparing for worship is to chug your choice of caffeine. Hey, I drink a lot of coffee. I'm not judging. But maybe you're counting on that caffeine to do its job and to create some fabricated joy. And the first and second song come and you are listening. And then it kicks in on the final chorus of the third song, and you feel it. (laughs) Thank you, Starbucks. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, my friends, those who are here this morning, it matters that you are here. It matters that you're not only here in body, it matters that your soul and your heart are here. It matters that we sing together. And I'm not just saying that we get in here and we sing loudly and we fake it till we make it. I'm not saying that we do that. I'm saying, as our psalm in verse 2 says, these are shouts for joy towards our God. And that matters because I think it's what this psalm is after today. God doesn't want us to be a people who obey on the surface, but whose hearts are far from him. He's after our hearts we would be a people who raise songs and shout for joy because it's overflowing from within us. So, how do we ready ourselves to praise God? How do we have hearts that overflow into song? How do we prepare ourselves to meet with God? Let me read verses 3 through 5. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day, For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. Sorry for that ASMR. I know, right? We just saw the lyre and the tambourine. So it would be easy to assume that the trumpet is just another musical instrument joining the song. But the language here isn't a trumpet being a musical instrument. It's a trumpet blast that calls the people to gather. This is a call to gather as God's people and to celebrate something. And the reference of the new moon, full moon, and the feast day seem to suggest this is the feast of trumpets. This was on the first day of the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, and the Jewish calendar was based on the moon cycle, so the new moon would be on the first day of the month. Leviticus 23, 24 says this, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial memorial proclaimed with blasts of trumpets, a holy convocation. Convocation means a large assembly, the Feast of Trumpets was a breaking from normal activity, an intentional time to slow down, to not work, and to prepare the people for what is soon to come. And something is soon to come. Because the seventh month on the Jewish calendar is very, very significant. And in just nine days, on the tenth day of the seventh month, the nation of Israel acknowledges their sins and their inability to cleanse themselves. It's the day of atonement. There are sin offerings. And then the high priest, after making sin offerings even for himself, takes a goat and he places, symbolically, the sins of Israel onto the goat and sends it out into the wilderness. It's a literal scapegoat. So when the trumpet blasts on the Feast of Trumpets, it's a call to all of God's people to prepare to meet with God. Now these verses say this was a statute. It says it's a rule, and it says it's a decree. And we already saw this in Leviticus 23, that it's a decree, a statute, a law. God says that you are to do this, my people. But I think there's something significant about the phrasing in verse 5. It says he made it a decree when he went out over the land of Egypt. See, the Feast of Trumpets was declared as a statute in the law. But when God was passing over Egypt, he hadn't given the law yet. He was delivering his people from slavery. The law came after deliverance, which means the purpose of gathering together, praising God with shouts of joy, slowing down and preparing to meet with God, find their root not in the law, but in God's gracious act of deliverance. It's as if when God passed over Egypt, when he was delivering his people from slavery, he was proclaiming a decree that he would be their God and they would be his people. So yes, yes, When the trumpet blasts, the people are commanded by the law to gather and worship. But when God passed over Egypt and delivered his people from slavery, the people should have been compelled to worship and gather God for the rest of their lives. Because he is their deliverer. Let's look at verses 6 through 10. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. These verses are recounting the history of Israel as they're being delivered by God. As he heard their cries and and pulled them out of slavery, he relieves their burdens and frees their hands. He answers in a secret place of thunder, which is reminiscent of the people trapped at the Red Sea. They cry out in great distress, and God parts the water's miraculously and rescues his people. He delivers them in a miraculous way. Now, the last part of verse 7 says that God tested them at the waters of Meribah. Numbers 20 recounts how the people were thirsty at Meribah, and they had no water. They rose up, and they complained to Moses, and they made accusations that Moses and God had taken them out of slavery only to kill them in the desert of thirst. God has Moses strike a large rock, and water flows abundantly out of it, providing for his people. And our psalm says this was a test. See, God had delivered the people out of slavery. He rescued them in a miraculous way at the Red Sea. He's provided manna manna for them. And when the people found that they were thirsty, when they looked around and they were parched, and they realized they had no way to provide for themselves— they turn on Moses and God. And they question God's goodness and his power. Now we might be tempted to judge the Israelites. I mean, they had seen and experienced miraculous intervention. God had delivered them from slavery. He's provided for them. Why couldn't they just trust God this one more time? That can be my heart at times when I look at these scriptures. But isn't this often how we are? My oldest daughter, Margot, she had a medical test this past week, and for the past several weeks leading up to this test, we referred to it as Margot's test. We've actually been walking through this for about a year and a half as a family, working with doctors and doing tests, trying to figure out something about my daughter's body and this particular test this week, the results of what it could show had two very scary options of what could be going on. Now, I know you guys love my family and you love sweet Margot, who has never met a stranger in her life. Uh, I want you to know that she is okay, and I thank you for being concerned. And she's aware that we go to doctors and have tests and we're trying to figure something out, but she's young and not aware of what some of these tests could reveal. And so if you have any questions on how you can further just care for our family or pray for me and my family and for my daughter, I would just ask that you you come to me. I would love to talk to you about it. But as a parent, when your kid has a test, there's something terrifying about a medical test for kids, isn't there? The what ifs and the fears can spiral out of control. I found some days I felt peace, a peace that surpassed understanding. I, I knew that God was good, and I trusted him. And other mornings, the moment I woke up, I already had knots in my stomach, just with anxiety and what-ifs. The morning of the test finally came, and I was praying about Margot's test, and I felt like the Lord gently told me, that calling it Margot's test missed an important part of it. He was testing me too. Looking back on the past weeks, I can see times where I ate more food than I usually would. Times where I would play video games or watch a movie just to get through the hour. Moments where I was less patient and quicker to anger. Those were moments where instead of turning to God, I turned to lesser things. Moments where I abandoned trust and looked elsewhere. But I also fought to trust God these past few weeks. And I'm certain at times I honor God, and at other times I sinned in fear and disbelief. I prayed a lot. And there were often prayers of pleading and asking to leave my family well. I tried to lead Arden and my daughters not into fear, but instead towards faith and trust in God. How did I do these past several weeks? A complex complex mess. That sentence is a complex mess. A complex mess of faithfulness and faithlessness. But I'm so grateful that although we are faithless, our God remains faithful. I want to close the loop on this story. We got the results back, and the two scary options are off the table. Thank you. Our God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I don't believe God tests us in a vindictive or petty way. Instead, God loves me enough to expose my sin, to show me where I look to lesser things, to touch in places where my life, where I suddenly reach for other things to give me security and control. And he does that because he loves me. And this is what he did for the Israelites. Look at verses 8 through 10. Hear me as I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me. See, God delivered his people out of slavery, he's rescued them, he's protected them, he's provided for them. But once the Lord delays in providing water, and the people get thirsty, their hearts are exposed and they turn elsewhere to some other called gods, so-called gods. The Lord is the one who brought them out of slavery, but they will turn to someone else now. God, speaking of the people, says that their hearts were far from him. The testing exposed where their trust was. Once he stops giving them what they want, how they want it, and when they want it, they often shop for another god. These so-called gods, or idols, gave them a sense of security, a sense of control. And the irony is that the idols that they were churning to were objects. They, they were objects that they were churning to. So when in the psalm it says, I heard you when you cried out in distress and I delivered you. These objects cannot hear. And when God says, oh, but if you would listen to me, there's a living God speaking to them. These objects cannot speak to them. And they are churning to deaf and mute idols when the living God is right there. And God is pleading with them, listen to me. But like the Israelites, we often don't listen. When the things that we love in our lives are touched, we often go looking for security and comfort away from God. The last line in this plea is a challenge to the people. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. It's almost as if God is asking his people to test him back. If the people would open their mouths wide and trust, God would satisfy them. I thought it was interesting that God doesn't just say, open your mouth, but he says to open it wide. You know, as I read that, a story came to mind of my youngest daughter, Eloise. My wife, this past week, was trying to get Eloise's attention. She is a very active child, if you've seen her. The laughter means you have. And she is just squirming and everything, and she hasn't stepped into disobedience yet. She's just being rambunctious. But, but Arden says, Eloise, and Eloise looks at her. Here comes the moment of the test. Get your butt over here now. And Eloise locks eyes with Arden, and she gets down on her butt, and she starts scooting slowly over to her. Technically obeying. (laughs) I wonder how often we hear God and we obey in half measures. God is telling his people to open their mouth wide. And he states a promise, I will fill it. Now, I'm not talking about financial blessings. I'm not talking about God giving us whatever we want. But I wonder this morning that for many of us who are in the season where we feel like God is distant, that our relationship with the Lord isn't what it used to be, that maybe you have a lot of doubt and you would even say, I have faith in God, but, but I just, I have a lot of doubt. We're really distant, we're far apart, and, and maybe you even think God is being stingy with you. Maybe the problem this morning is not the willingness of our God, but how wide your mouth is open. Are you only obeying in half measure to him? Do you have a meager response to God, a half-hearted measure? God is telling his people to be expectant, to trust him, to not go elsewhere, and he will us. He will satisfy. God will be God. And he's pleading with his people to listen so that he can be there and bless them. He's pleading with the Israelites, and he's pleading with us this morning. Will you listen to me? I want to bless you. How did his people respond? But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and churn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe towards him, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. They did not listen. They may have heard God's voice, but they did not submit to God's voice. God wants his people to hear his voice and obey, and because they don't, God hands them over to their own stubborn hearts. Why? Why? Because God wants to bless his people, but to do so, when they are rejecting him, would give them the false impression. They would believe that the lesser things they are turning to were working. That the idols they trust are coming through for them. And they would believe that Yahweh, God, doesn't care if they have divided allegiance. I am so thankful that God does not bless my sin. I'll say it again. I am so thankful that God does not bless my sin. Instead, he often frustrates. Sometimes I won't see it right away. I'll believe I'm doing just fine. God doesn't promise to give his people exactly what they want, and we shouldn't expect the same in our lives today, but God does promise to abundantly bless his people If they would only listen to him and walk in his ways He says that he would subdue their enemies He would satisfy their needs with the finest of wheat and honey. God doesn't want to give half measures of blessing He wants to be there for his people Now I can't tell you this morning that if you would just submit to god, you'll get what you want I wouldn't dare But I can tell you that you will get god and God is what you're looking for, and all those other things. As much as we turn away, followers of Christ and those who are not in Christ, as much as we look to other things to satisfy what we're really looking for is God Himself, you will not find what you're looking for outside of Him. I remember a season in my early 20s when I had two idols. Now, not objects. things that had my heart. One was my girlfriend at the time, not my wife, and the other was a calling I felt to ministry. And I was certain that these two things were given to me by God and were good. Well, I I would have said I was sure of that, but, but through circumstances, bad fruit, closed doors, and counsel from others, both of these things were being challenged in my life it started to look like maybe God was trying to take both of these things away. And instead of listening to God, I closed my fingers around them. I did everything I could to protect these things in my life. I mean, I, I, I bartered, I manipulated, I worked, I maneuvered to keep them secure. I ignored counsel from people I know loved me because I wanted these things. And God loved me enough to not bless my pursuit of these. Neither of them were wrong or sinful in themselves, but I had invested in them in a way that they became more precious to me than God himself. I loved these more than I loved him. So that even when it became clear to me that God was telling me to open my closed fists and trust him, I ignored him. I refused. With shaking fists towards God, my posture of my life was, you can't take this from me. You can't. I won't let you. And God, in his deep and faithful love for me, began to peel back finger by finger, breaking bone, dislocating joint. And over the next several years of my life, that relationship with that young lady became stale. Neither of us were growing in love of God. We were not being blessed. I was passed up for opportunities for ministry, pastor's college, and discipleship. Leaders didn't connect with me and they connected with others. And I watched people who I discipled get opportunities that I was never given. God was pleading with me to listen and to submit, but I would not. It hurt. It was a painful season of my life. And over those years, my fingers splayed open, my grip broken. God took that relationship away. And he left the sense of calling to ministry in my now open hand. Because, friends, this is a posture of worship, not this. This acknowledges that he is God, not me. And he gets to decide what he gives and what he takes away. This is trust. This is worship. And to do this takes a heart that is his. Because God loved me, he did not bless me. And through his discipline, I was truly blessed. I grew in character. I repented from idolatry. My faith was strengthened. God loved me enough to discipline me so that I could marry Arden and one day serve as a pastor here at Metro Life Church. It took time for me to grow. It wasn't on my timeline, and I am so grateful that God did it this way. Because I really do feel like this morning, I am eating the finest wheat and honey from the rock. What are your hands closed around this morning? What is it that you won't open to trust God with? The psalm begs us the question this morning, are we listening to God? And are you actually listening? You know, so common in our culture today is something they call fubbing. Has everyone heard that before? I hate that word. It's phone snubbing. Y'all guilty. It's whenever you're around someone else and you look at your phone. Have you ever done that? Don't be a liar. I know you have. Have you ever done it to someone important in your life? Have anyone ever called you out on it? Whoo, that's a painful moment. It's the, it's the, are you listening to me? And and you realize in that moment, you don't know the last three sentences they said. And so you have a choice in that moment to fess up and say, hey, could you repeat that again for me? I I wasn't listening. Or you go, "Uh uh-huh, wow, crazy. (laughs) We tend to get defensive in these moments, don't we? When someone calls you out and says, are you listening? Even though you know you weren't, you want to go, I'm listening! Yes, of course! we get defensive we fake it we get angry we are self-deceived god is calling out to us in his word he has a purpose for our life he has commanded that he is calling us to uh, he has commands that he's calling us to submit to and and are we actually listening are there so many things in life that you are looking at rather than actually giving god your attention Do you slow down? Do you go to him and spend time with God to pray and consider what his word says? And maybe we are listening. Maybe we do hear what he's saying, but we don't trust him enough to really obey. So we'll give him a little bit, but not all of it. Oh, friends. Open your mouth wide. Open your hands and trust that he is good. And cast whatever idols you reach for for security and comfort and control and cast them to the ground and submit to the one true living God. Because wherever you're at this morning, here this morning, wherever your relationship with the Lord is, whether you've been a believer for a long time, or this is the first time you've ever even considered it, there is a real God speaking to you. And he is crying out over this whole assembly, this congregation, Oh, if you would but listen to me, I would bless you. I'm here, open wide, trust me, and I will satisfy what you are looking for. See, Psalm 81 calls us to worship, it calls us to gather, it calls us to reflect. The people reflecting on their lives and and their sinfulness and their need of a savior because the Day of Atonement is drawing near. And so we're called to reflect. And to listen to his voice, to truly listen and obey. And this psalm calls us to be blessed. God is speaking. Are his people listening? This psalm starts with that call to gather as that trumpet blows. And it's a reference to the Feast of Trumpets that I said earlier. And it begs the question of us this morning. Are you prepared to meet with God? For followers of Christ, those who've submitted to Jesus, it's not a call to fix up our lives and earn salvation. It's a call to be faithfully waiting for our Savior when he returns with open hands of trust. And here's the scandalous thing about this psalm. The whole thing, God is pleading, oh, if you would just listen to me, then I would bless you. Oh, if you would listen to me, I could give you more, I could give you myself. But what's the good news of Jesus Christ? That when we were far off and we were not listening, when we did not obey, God moved towards us first to bless us so that we could obey. The good news for us in Christ this morning is not that you need to listen to be saved. It's that you've been saved so that we can finally listen and be blessed by Him. And, church, every time we gather and we come with hearts that are prepared with that knowledge, we're able to sing loud songs of praise, animated songs of praise. You can shout, Yes, God! with shouts of joy overflowing from a heart. And when God's people do that, every Sunday morning until he returns, a trumpet sounds out over the whole world that those who are far off in Christ hear the trumpet blast of God's people gathering, announcing the day of atonement is near. Are you ready to meet with God? And if you're not this morning, If you're one of those who are far off and you just hear a trumpet blast this morning, you look at the people around you, people who you may used to think, man, they're just crazy. But maybe today you're looking at their worship, you're looking at their lives and you're saying, maybe they have something I don't. And if you hear that trumpet call this morning, oh friend, reason why we can draw confidently to the day of atonement is because it's not a scapegoat on our behalf but jesus the son of god took the sins of all those who placed faith in him and he took it outside the camp and died on the cross so our hope is in the day of atonement because it's been done for us if you're not in christ you can trust him right now Open your mouth wide. Let go of the idols you're holding onto of hands of trust, and he will bless you this morning with himself. Oh, friends, we can trust this because one day 1 Thessalonians four sixteen through 18 says this, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise up first. Then those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Church, do you hear the trumpet? The Lord is coming soon. So let us be a people who trust.